Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about the sound of opposition. More a general view at the music of protest, resistance, and opposition with perhaps a surprising inclusion of musical theater.
we'll have theatrical examples of music, both from theater, as I previewed, and from rock and roll across several time periods. The trick for this one being an influence on storytelling and theatricality. It won't have the laser-like focus of war, to generalize it, like the last inappropriate conversations, but it won't be quite as thematically uh, targeted either as some of the ones that are coming in the weeks ahead. No, but this one started off with Midnight Oil. They will play us in and they will play us out. The intro that I chose for them, Blue Sky Mining, looking at the economic impact of what happens if the people who are uh, not in a position to bargain for themselves collectively, are at the mercy of the company. I could have chosen other songs with similar sort of themes. The LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore has been recorded by folks uh, like Johnny Cash and Michelle Schacht, among others. A good example of that kind of thing, I prefer the desperation and anger in the tone of voice of the minor character uh, in the Midnight Oil track from their uh, title track from Blue Sky Mine. So that gives us a sense of, of kind of how we're starting. And then I want to hit a couple of tracks from the jam right up front. I figure if I put a song like Going Underground right at the beginning, it'll sort of be a tie-out, a callback to the last Inappropriate conversation show. But before I get there, I want to do Running on the Spot. And I think what I want to do with this particular one is I want to talk about it before playing it. Share the lyrics before. And then if I do any lyrical callback to Going Underground, I'll do it after a few songs have been brought in here to introduce us. Because Going Underground is a war reference, and This Land is Your Land, from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, is also a reference back to Neil Young. Uh, One of Neil Young's recent albums is Americana, where he went back to songs by Woody Guthrie and others that were part of the, uh, the American experience in the turn of previous centuries and previous generations. And uh, he included a version of This Land is Your Land as well, trying to cover as many of the original lyrics as possible because the song actually is a protest song in and of itself. And I don't know that it necessarily gets enough credit for that. I remember singing it as just another folk song, uh, just not unlike Oh Susanna, for example. But clearly the lyrical content is stronger. But to get us going, let me start by sharing the lyrics of the uh, words to Running on the Spot by The Jam. My favorite song by The Jam, and I'd be willing to grant that maybe for people who have don't have a lot of experience listening to Paul Weller's voice, the lyrics can't be easy to pick out. So in this case, I'll share some of them before I play the song, so it'll make it easier to follow along to what The Jam is trying to do from their last studio album, The Gift. I was hoping we'd made real progress, but it seems we have lost the power. Any tiny step of advancement is like a raindrop falling into the ocean. We're running on the spot. Always have, always will. We're just the next generation of emotionally crippled. Though we keep on piling up the building blocks, the structure never seems to get any higher because we keep kicking out the foundations and stand useless while our lives fall down. I believe in life and I believe in love, but the world in which we live keeps trying to prove me wrong. Out in the pastures we call society, you can't see further than the bottom of your glass. Only young, but easily shocked. You get all violent when the boat gets rocked. Just like sheep, little lambs into the slaughter. Don't fully grasp what exactly is wrong. Truth is, you never cared. Still you get all violent when the boat gets rocked. Intelligence should be our first weapon. And stop reveling in rejection. And follow yourselves, not some aging brain drain who's quite content to go on feeding you garbage. We're running on the spot. Always have, always will. We're just the next generation of the emotionally crippled. One, two, three. 
There had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature.
So a fair amount of variety there. The Jam, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, David Byrne, formerly the frontman of Talking Heads, and uh, I don't. I hope it came through, but I have a tremendous amount of passion for the concepts of standing up and protesting, and not just looking out at external forces who are politically my other, but directing the occasional ombudsman view inside my own house and saying, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense. Uh, to stand up for free speech by opposing free speech. Problematic. But equally problematic to confuse someone who is uh, rebutting another person's commentary as some attack on their freedom of speech. If you can't defend your ideas, you ought to be called to task. And it should be made clear that maybe your right to speak comes with it a responsibility to speak intelligently and clearly and in a way that can be defended. 
So after running on the spot got us off to a good start. I didn't want to separate the jam and beginning and ending like I'm going to do with the band Midnight Oil. I wanted these two songs to be right on top of each other. Because Going Underground is by far the better known and more popular of the songs by the jam that I'm going to look at during this period of protest music. Similar themes though, right? The public wants what the public gets. The public gets what the public wants. But I want nothing. This society's got them going underground. Will the brass bands play and feet start to pound going underground? We'll let the boys all sing and let the boys all shout for tomorrow. Some people might get some pleasure out of hate me. I have enough already on my plate. People might need some tension to relax. Me, I'm too busy dodging between the flack. What you see is what you get. You made your bed, you better lie in it. You choose your leaders and place your trust as their lies wash you down and their promises rust. You'll see kidney machines replaced by rockets and guns. And the public wants what the public gets. So, powerful words, well-spoken. One of the great anthems of that late 70s, early 80s period where the jam, at least in England, was king for a time. That said, included a track from the soundtrack to the movie Palmetto. It was a David Byrne song previously released called Miss America, and used nicely. It's one of my favorite movie soundtracks, actually, from a song's perspective, and uh, Palmetto is going to be a film that's going to have a soft spot for me. You've got performances by Woody Harrelson and Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue's previously been named as a different drummer, and named for her acting, and that's one of the films that I kind of look at the most for the acting of Elizabeth Shue. The other thing was a quick sound clip. I believe it was from uh, A Mighty Wind, the comedy film about abuse being musical in nature. And I'm about to get into the more theatrical moments in this particular inappropriate conversations. I said it was going to be general protest. Wasn't going to carry a particular theme like political opposition or war resistance. Uh, Later on, we'll have sound of shows that are going to look specifically at things like um, minority relations and uh, our law and order mentality. Uh, We'll talk about religion. We'll talk about environmentalism. But this is going to be much more broad. And the common theme being music that is inherently theatrical or has a sort of a, a, a musicality, a storytelling to it. And before I get into things which are genuinely uh, musical in nature, let me go to a callback to Inappropriate Conversations number 24, Harder Core Than Thou. That came out in July of 2013. Had a lot of music clips, much shorter music clips than what I'm doing here. But kind of calling out that a lot of the bands that I like are bands that are uh, experimental or on the edge. uh, Don't fit nicely into whatever the uh, corporate bucket might be. Because I think as music fans, we deceive ourselves. Uh, if you like hard rock music, you can tell yourself, well, that my music, at least my music, isn't top 40. But even within the realm of top 40, there are probably people who play that same game, legitimizing your own musical tastes at the expense of the musical tastes of others. But there really are a group of bands who fall enough outside of what we might call corporate music that they get themselves into consistent trouble with their record labels and often struggle to get the music that they've recorded released. That describes Neil Young the different drummer in the previous inappropriate conversation, known famously for going head-to-head and even all the way to litigation with uh, record labels over uh, when he decided he wanted to put a country album out. He had to fight for that in court, or just about in court, to get it done. Scatterbrain was formerly known as Ludicrist, changed their name. Maybe they changed their name in part because they had enough trouble getting even independent record labels to release their music under that name. And, of course... Radio and MTV wasn't going to touch Ludicrous with a 10-foot pole. 
The one thing they kept all the way through the through line of their band, regardless of the name of their band, was the sense of comedy, the sense of humor, and the banter and storytelling that's inside it. And that is represented pretty well here in a song from their Here Comes Trouble album. Uh, This is Scatterbrain with Goodbye Freedom. Hello, Mom. You go 
Okay, I mentioned that at any moment I might be breaking out in a show tune. And I guess I'm going to do that right now. Morph us into the different drummer along the way. But the first one I want to play is not related directly to our different drummer this week. This comes from the, the uh, cast recording for Wicked. And to me, one of the great protest songs in my lifetime, especially in recent years of my lifetime, and coming in the context where it fits perfectly inside that one show, this is clearly a character-driven piece where characters who are relevant to the Wizard of Oz sort of universe um, are speaking to each other. But the concept, I think, applies just as well here, that maybe to get where we need to be at this particular moment in world history, we're going to have to have some people who buck the trend, who defy gravity. Alphaba, why couldn't you have stayed calm for once instead of flying off the handle? I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy now. I hope you're happy how you hurt your cause forever. I hope you think you're clever. I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy too. I hope you're proud how you would grovel in submission to feed your own ambition. So though I can't imagine how, I hope you're happy right now. Elfie, listen to me. Just say you're sorry. You can still be with the wizard. What you've worked and waited for. You can have all you ever wanted. I know. But I don't want it. No. I can't want it Within me, something is not the same. I'm through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. Too late for second guessing, too late to go back to sleep. It's time to trust my instincts, close my eyes. Someone says they're so Some things I cannot change But till I try I'll never know Too long I've been afraid of Losing love I guess I would Well if that's love It comes at much too high a Come with me. Think of what we could do together. Unlimited. Together we're unlimited. Together we'll be the greatest team. That 
shot. Hey, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not going away. My shot. I dream of life without a monarchy. The unrest in France will lead to anarchy. Anarchy. Are you say? Are you all oh, anarchy? <laughs> when I fight, I make the other side panicky with my shit. Yo, I'm a tailor's apprentice, and I got job knuckleheads and local parentis. I'm joining the rebellion, cause I know what's my chance. So should league advance instead of sewing some pants. I'm gonna take a shot. And but we'll never be truly free until those in bondage have the same rights as you and me. You and I do or die. Wait till I sally in on a stallion. The first black battalion, never another shot. Geniuses, lower your voices. You keep out of trouble and you double your choices. I'm with you, but the situation is fraught. You've got to be carefully taught. If you talk, you're gonna get shot. Bird, check what we got. Mr. Lafayette, hard rock like Lancelot. I think your pants look hot. Lawrence, I like you a lot. Let's hatch a plot blacker than the kettle calling the pot. What are the odds of God you put us all in one spot? Pop in a squad and conventional wisdom like it or not. A bunch of revolutionary manumission abolitionists. Give me a position. Show me where the ammunition is. Oh, am I talking too loud? Sometimes I get overexcited. Shoot off at the mouth. I never had a group of friends before. I promise that I'll make y'all proud. Let's get this guy in front of a crowd. So much it feels more like a memory. When's it gonna get me? In my sleep, seven feet ahead of me. If I see it coming, do I run or do I let it be? Is it like a beat without a melody? See, I never thought I'd live past twenty. Where I come from, some get half as many. Ask anybody why we live it fast and we laugh, reach for a blast. We have to make this moment last. That's plenty. Scratch that. This is not a moment. It's the movement where all the hungriest brothers with something to prove went. Foes oppose us. We take an honest stand. We roll like Moses, claiming our promised land. And if we win our independence, that a guarantee of freedom for our descendants. Or will the blood we shed begin an endless cycle of vengeance and death with no defendants? I know the action in the street is exciting, but Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing. We need to handle our financial situation. Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? I'm past patiently waiting, I'm passionately smashing every expectation, every action to enact the creation. I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow. For the first time, I'm thinking past tomorrow. And I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. We're gonna rise, away, time to take a shot. We're gonna rise, away, time to take a shot. We're gonna rise up, rise up, rise up, time to take a shot, rise up, rise up,
And yes, I decided to just let it roll. That was Defying Gravity from Wicked, followed by a clip from Say Anything, the film, and then followed by the music that's introducing our different drummer today, the music written and performed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That was My Shot from Hamilton. And obviously, if you take the lyrics out of the context of the story, we're looking at a protest song. And the more you understand about American history, the more clear that protest song actually is. I will let Miranda's uh, work in Hamilton play us out with another protest song. Uh, The end of Act One and one of the greatest moments to me in the musical where all the different themes and motifs that have been introduced previously in Hamilton come to a head and collide directly with one another. But I fear I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to wait and do a couple of other callbacks along the way, particularly to Inappropriate Conversations number 190, Dear Family Member where Alexander Hamilton was the different drummer. And I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that Hamilton is a different drummer for me in part because of the way Ron Chernow's biography, as rendered by Miranda's musical, brought him back to my attention in a way that is, frankly, much more robust and more than just a little bit different from what I might have learned in history class. So we'll get there in a moment. But first, at least in a very brief way, who is Lin-Manuel Miranda. Let's go to Wikipedia, but I want to work it back to front and just say, this seems so obvious to me as a different drummer that there probably is no reason why I need to pretend to justify it. Every bit as obvious as Neil Young was a week ago. But here's the awards and achievements section of the Wikipedia page just to drive the theme home. Among his numerous accolades, Miranda has won a Pulitzer Prize, three Tony Awards, two Grammys, an Emmy, and has been nominated for an Academy Award. He additionally was the recipient of a MacArthur Fellowship in 2015. In 2016, Time Magazine included him in its annual Time 100 as one of the most influential people in the world, and he received a star of the Puerto Rico Hall of Fame. This is the credit being given to Lin-Manuel Miranda. So, who is Miranda? Still looking at the Wikipedia perspective, he could be defined pretty well as an American actor, playwright, and composer, best known for creating and starring in Broadway musicals Hamilton and In the Heights. In addition to his theater work, Miranda was heavily involved with Disney's Moana soundtrack and will star in their upcoming Mary Poppins Returns. He also won Pulitzer Prize Grammys, Tonys. Yeah, he's getting credit for the work as a recording artist, as a stage performer, as a film soundtrack performer, and who knows what may happen as his acting credits on film evolve here in the next few years. My wife and daughter went to see In the Heights on a school trip to New York City when my daughter was in high school. It was a trip where they went on the bus tour, wife is chaperone, daughter is participant, and my son and I stayed home. A couple years later, the whole family went on that trip, as my son was also part of the chorus that one year, and it included the year that the, the every other year pattern that this high school used to go to New York City and compete in a choral competition, but also see at least one Broadway show along the way. I had no context for what In the Heights was, so when they said they'd gone to see the Broadway Little Mermaid musical, I completely understood. I had been to see The Lion King on stage, at that time just in Toronto. Later I would see it again in New York City. So I kind of understood the potential of Disney animated musicals being brought to life on stage, but I didn't really have the first clue about In the Heights. So when I first encountered Miranda in the context of Hamilton, I didn't have a lot of baggage, in this case good baggage, to go with that. It kind of caught me off guard. 
And Hamilton as a musical caught me off guard for a couple of reasons. One of them was the sheer power of a trio of songs in the first act. I used to refer to these as a CD slice. I don't know how common that was in album-oriented rock radio in the 1970s and 80s for everybody. But in the 80s, when compact discs sort of took over, and things like Two for Tuesdays and No Repeat Thursdays were getting a little bit stale, we began to see the radio, at least the, the rock DJs in the cities where I lived, do something called a CD slice, where you were intentionally picking two or three songs together, like you were cutting the compact disc into a pie-shaped slice. Now, of course, CDs don't work that way. The track, and even vinyl doesn't work that way. The tracks are embedded in a more circular fashion. But you kind of get the idea. For me, that crucial CD slice, and one of the reasons that Hamilton was the best recording I heard in the year 2015, and will endure in my, in my music world for a very, very long time, perhaps even a lifetime, are three songs back-to-back. A Winter's Ball, Helpless, and Satisfied. You can almost think of A Winter's Ball as being a piece of exposition. It's a narrator-driven song, kind of explaining how the plot is about to take a turn. Helpless, telling one story from the perspective of one of the sisters, the woman that Alexander Hamilton would marry, and then Satisfied, beautifully and devastatingly telling the same story from the perspective of the other sister. It's actually just a piece of of unbelievable um, musical magic. Um, I haven't seen it on stage. I don't know whether seeing a performance live would enhance or diminish the work. I'm speaking it strictly from the perspective of music recorded on album. However, it is fair to say that neither helpless nor satisfied qualify as protest music, certainly not in the same way that a song like My Shot or Nonstop would qualify. But before I get us out of the Different Drummer segment, I want to tie this back in to the things that I had to say about the political elections and the lead-up to those elections, like just a few days before Election Day in November, in an Inappropriate Conversations episode called Dear Family Member, Inappropriate Conversations 190. And there's a direct tie-out to a concept that was covered both in the biography written by Ron Chernow, but rendered very nicely and very musically in Hamilton by Miranda. Let's start there. The Election of 1800. Can we get back to politics? Please. Yo. Every action has its equal opposite reaction. John Adams shat the bed. I love the guy, but he's in traction. Poor Alexander Hamilton. He is missing in action. So now I'm facing Aaron Burr with his own faction. He's very attractive in the North. New Yorkers like his chances. He's not very forthcoming on any particular stances. Ask him a question that glances off. He obfuscates. He dances. And they say I'm a Francophile. At least they know I know where France is. Thomas, that's the problem. See, they see Burr as a less extreme you. Eh? You need to change course. A key endorsement might redeem you. Who did you have in mind? Don't laugh. Who is it? You used to work on the same staff. It might be nice, it might be nice to get Hamilton on your side. It might be nice, it might be nice to get Hamilton on your side. Talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Shake hands with him. Charm her. It's 1800. Ladies, tell your husbands, vote for Burr. I don't like Adams. Well, he's gonna lose. That's just defeatist. And Jefferson? In love with France. Yeah, he's so elitist. I like that Aaron Burr. I can't believe we're here with him. 
Adams approachable? Like who could grab a beer with him? Dear Mr. Hamilton, your fellow Federalists would like to know how you'll be voting. It's quiet up Dear Mr. Hamilton, John Adams doesn't stand a chance, so who are you promoting? It's quiet up Sir, Alexander, you've created quite a stir, sir. I'm going door to door. You're openly campaigning. Sure. That's new. Honestly, it's kind of draining. Burr, sir, is there anything you wouldn't do? No, I'm chasing what I want. And you know what? What? I learned that from you. It's a tie. You had to choose if you had to choose. It's up to the delegates. If you had to choose if you had to choose. It's up to Hamilton. If you had to choose. Yeah. The people are asking to hear my voice. But the country is facing a difficult choice. And if you were to ask me who I'd promote, Jefferson has my vote. I had never agreed with Jefferson once. We have fought on like 75 different fronts. But when all is said and all is done, Jefferson has beliefs. Burr has none. Well, I'll be damned. Well, I'll be damned. Hamilton's on your side. Well, I'll be damned. Well, I'll be damned. And you won on a landslide. Congrats on a race well run. I did give you a fight. Uh huh. I look forward to our partnership. Our partnership as your vice president. <laughs> yeah, right. You hear this guy? Man openly campaigns against me, talking about I look forward to our partnership. It is crazy that the guy who comes in second gets to be vice president. Oh, you know what? We can change that. You know why? Why? Because I am the president. Burr, when you see Hamilton, thank him for the endorsement. That track was The Election of 1800 from the second act. In fact, as the second act of the musical rounds that final turn and heads into the home stretch from a plot perspective. And the thing that I wanted to do to kind of share musically and share in the context of protesting what has happened. Now I realize that there is an argument to be made that people flooding into the streets and protesting a political election that happened months earlier kind of doesn't make sense that I, I think there's something cathartic about it. And I think that it's important that people be granted the freedom to uh, protest and to assemble and to speak out, even speak out against their government. But it would have been much nicer if all the same people who were angry about what happened in that election had just gone to the polls and changed the result. And what I've had to share in the days leading up, frankly, into the weeks and months leading up to that election was a concept that it ties in very directly with uh, Alexander Hamilton's history as, as documented in the biography, and in this one track of the musical. Note that it's been established throughout the, bi the biography and the play that Hamilton and Jefferson do not see eye to eye. This is not a surprise. This has been well documented throughout history. And if you take it to the extreme of saying that Hamilton has nothing in common with Jefferson and has reason to fear that Jefferson, if given the opportunity, would dismantle most of Hamilton's direct and important contributions to the birth of this nation, that it was an extreme risk for 
uh, Hamilton for Jefferson to win that election and to become president and to end up being a two-term president. And how would you, how could you possibly explain Hamilton when asked directly, siding with Jefferson over Aaron Burr? That decision would ultimately create the final set of of disagreements between Hamilton and Burr that would lead to the duel that would take Hamilton's life. It was, in some ways, throwing his support behind Jefferson at that crucial moment of swaying public and elector opinion was a life-and-death decision that ended in Hamilton's death. It was a big deal. And yet Hamilton was very clear, and I think in the way that it's been rendered by Miranda, even more clear, that he would rather pick somebody who wasn't an opportunist, who wasn't jumping into the moment when the the iron was hot and he could strike, wasn't interested in his own well-being at the expense of the nation. Somebody who had principles, who understood what the United States was all about, at again, at that moment of its crucial moment of formation, and was willing to stand up for it, even to the expense of his own, setting his own opportunities aside. We have a president of the United States right now who is the exact opposite of everything that Hamilton was standing for when he threw his support behind Jefferson and and tried to stop Burr from being the president. In fact, I dare say that Trump is probably a worse example of everything that Hamilton feared in Burr than Burr ever would have turned out to be had he become president of the United States. We've got conflicts of interest out the wazoo. We've got changes being proposed to our tax code, which are very different from grafting corruption. It's basically a blatant money grab. We've got nepotism on a heretofore historic scale going on inside our country and inside our government. And the same people who don't seem to care that that's wrong and we should stand up to it and say it's wrong, the same you know, Republican elected officials in states all over this country who seem to be saying things like they'd rather see protesters shot and killed than for those protesters to be able to raise the questions about whether this particular president is behaving in a legitimate manner, whether this man in Trump has the country's interest more in heart than even Aaron Burr did. And certainly none of us are kidding ourselves into thinking that Trump belongs in the same conversation with people like uh, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and George Washington. So we kind of have a problem here. But my issue is not necessarily with the people in the streets who are protesting. And my issue goes way beyond the current behavior of key people in the Trump administration, including perhaps the president himself. My issue is with the people who didn't have the American moral courage to follow the example set and documented in this song, The Election of 1800, by Alexander Hamilton, and say, I'm willing to vote for my political enemy in the interest of the country, that I don't have any trouble sleeping at night voting for somebody who stands for almost everything I'm opposed to as long as the country will survive it. I don't want to go off the deep end and say that I'm deeply worried that the United States of America is not going to survive this. But it's a legitimate question to raise. In fact, it's legitimate to question whether the elections that I've been able to participate in my entire lifetime have eroded us to the point where so many people, including friends and family members, don't see the threat that is currently sitting in front of us. So hats off as a different drummer to Miranda for recording music that is both biographically accurate, you know, with a few musical touches here and there, some dramatic licenses are taken in places, but also can function as protest music and almost in many ways as moments in historical time that we can refer back to. I certainly did that in Inappropriate Conversations 190, And it's one of my great regrets in the last year or so that far too many people didn't listen 
didn't hear me, perhaps, then that's on me. But even the ones who did hear me didn't listen. So, closing out this segment very quickly with just a little bit of rounding. Miranda was born in Upper Manhattan in the neighborhood of Washington Heights, which was the setting for In the Heights, which again, I haven't seen. The son of Luz Towns, a clinical psychologist, and Luis A. Miranda, a Democratic Party consultant who has advised New York City Mayor Ed Koch. We're going to get to Ed Koch perhaps in the next episode of Inappropriate Conversations, but not to get too far ahead of myself. He grew up in the Latino neighborhood of Inwood, but would spend a month every year with, in his grandparents' home in Puerto Rico. He is of mostly Puerto Rican descent. His mother's ancestors included an interracial couple. But uh, growing up as he did, Miranda helped create uh, jingles, um, including one used in Elliot Spitzer's 2006 election campaign, graduated from Hunter College Elementary School, and in the interviews that I've seen on TV, he credits that experience with getting him the step forward. But he also said that even going there was intimidating because he realized that he was perhaps the least school, the least scholarly of his peers in this particular gifted elementary school program. And what it taught him is perhaps a lesson we can take at the end of this different drummer segment. He realized that if he was going to excel, if he was going to compete effectively as a student against people who seemed to be much more gifted uh, in math and science and history, that he was going to have to pick a lane that was right for him and excel within that particular set of boundaries. That led him to be what he uh, dismissively describes as himself being a song and dance man. But there are a lot of song and dance people out there. And throughout history, there have been a lot, of, a lot of song and dance people out there. But I can think of very few who have delivered something that speaks so directly to the time and place we're in. Not just uh, as a piece of art, not just as a musical, but also um, speaking directly to the time and place we're in from the perspective of protest music or what I would describe as the sound of opposition. After the war, I went back to New York. After the war, I went back to New York. I finished up my studies and I practiced law. I practiced law, Burr worked next door. Even though we started at the very same time, Alexander Hamilton began to climb. How to account for his rise to the top? Man, the man is non-stop. Gentlemen of the jury, I'm curious, bear with me. Are you aware that we're making history? is the first murder trial of our brand new nation, the liberty behind deliberation. I intend to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt with my assistant counsel. Oh, counsel Hamilton, sit down. A client, Larry Weeks, is innocent. Call your first witness. That's all you had to say. Okay, one more thing. Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? That attitude may be your doom. Why do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. Keep on fighting in the meantime. Corruption's such an old song that we can sing along in harmony. And nowhere is it stronger than in Albany. This colony's economy's increasingly stalling. And honestly, that's why public service Just seems to be calling me. I practiced the law, practically perfected it. I've seen injustice in the world and I've corrected it. Now for a strong central democracy. If not, then I'll be Socrates throwing verbal rocks at these mediocrities. Hamilton at the Constitutional Convention. I was chosen for the Constitutional Convention. There is a New York junior delegate. Now what I'm gonna say may sound indelicate. Uh. Goes and proposes his own form of government. What? His own plan for a new form of government. What? Talks for six hours. The convention is listless. Right, young man. Yo, who the F is this? Why do you always say what do you believe? Why 
always say what you believe. Every proclamation guarantees free ammunition for your enemies. Why do you write like it's going out of style? Alexander? Aaron Burr, sir. Well, it's the middle of the night. Can we confer, sir? Is this a legal matter? Yes, and it's important to me. What do you need? Burr, you're a better lawyer than me. Okay. I know I talk too much. I'm abrasive. You're incredible in court. You're succinct, persuasive. My client needs a strong defense. You're the solution. Who's your client? The new U.S. Constitution. No. Hear me out. No way. A series of essays anonymously published defending the document of the public. No one will read it. I disagree. And if it fails. Burr, that's why we need it. The Constitution's a mess. So it needs amendments. It's full of contradictions. So is independence. We have to start somewhere. No. No way. You're making a mistake. Good night. Hey, what are you waiting for? What do you stall for? What? We won the war. What was it all for? Do you support this constitution? Of course. Then defend it. And what if you're backing the wrong horse? Burr, we studied and we fought and we killed for the notion of a nation we now get to build. For once in your life, take a stand with pride. I don't understand how you stand to the side. I'll keep all my plans close to my chest. I am accompanied by someone who always pays I have found a wealthy husband who will keep me in comfort for all my days He is not a lot of fun, but there's no one who can match you for turn of phrase My Alexander, don't forget to Alexander joins forces with James Madison and John Jay to write a series of essays defending the new United States Constitution entitled The Federalist Papers. The plan was to write a total of 25 essays, the work divided evenly among the three men. In the end, they wrote 85 essays in the span of six months. John Jay got sick after writing five. James Madison wrote 29. Hamilton wrote the other 51. How do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. Like you're running out of time. Are you running out of time? How do you write like tomorrow won't arrive? How do you write like you needed to survive? How do you write every second you're alive? Every second you're alive. Every second you're alive. They're asking me to leave. I'm doing the best I can to get the people that I need. I'm asking you to be my right hand, Treasury man. Or state. I know it's a lot to Treasury ask or to leave behind the world. You know. Sir, do you want me to run the Treasury or State Department? Treasury. Let's go. Alexander. I have to leave. Alexander. Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. They are asking me to leave. Look around.
So that was the end of the first act of Hamilton, the musical, by Lin-Manuel Miranda, non-stop, and talking about a lot of things which I think I wish I could have done more of back in Inappropriate Conversations 190, naming Hamilton as a different drummer, not really being able to spend much time at all with the Federalist Papers, and other things for which he deserves a ton of credit. So um, Miranda and Hamilton, uh, because of Miranda, are going to be forever associated with each other, and each one, I think, deserving their own moment as a different drummer. In this case, a different drummer in the context of rising up and speaking voices of opposition, and doing so in a variety of genre. We've covered uh, 80s rock and Midnight Oil, uh, late 70s and early 80s punk of a sort in the jam, the R&B sort of stacks callback sound of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, um, the Latino music experimentation of David Byrne in his career after Talking Heads, and actual show tunes. There's more theatrical work to come, but none quite as uh, Broadway <laughs> as what I've just done. And to be honest with you, if you'd asked me a year ago or a year and a half ago if I would ever be uh, focusing on these particular kinds of show tunes, original cast recording music in a different drummer segment, I would have said no, and I would have even been a little bit surprised by the question. But I'm also a little bit surprised that I'm about to turn my attention toward country music, that often when looking at these particular kinds of topics, country music finds itself on the other side of the line for me. It's easy to think of examples of country music. Toby Keith comes immediately to mind. Uh, folks who would tell me to sit down and shut up. The uh, flag-waving, proud-to-be-an-American type of mentality that doesn't have enough patience for the Alexander Hamiltons of our history, for one example. People who come off a little bit more like Andrew Jackson than Alexander Hamilton, and I would say Travis Tritt fits that bill. Uh, Travis Tritt did speak to political issues here in the last few months and was uh, uh, quoted, whether accurately or otherwise, as being proud of his decision to support Trump. That's kind of interesting to me because I first kind of glommed on to Tritt. The reason Travis Tritt's on my MP3 player at all was because of his album T-R-O-U-B-L-E. The Trouble album came out in 1992 and included a song called Lord Have Mercy on the Working Man. You could take the lyrics of that song and ask someone who was perhaps not Travis Tritt to answer the question of who do we think this describes? Who is this song protesting against? And it fits the bill of Trump better than almost anybody that I could possibly name. Meaning I'm going to give Travis Tritt credit for writing a protest song criticizing the presidential candidate that he actually voted for and perhaps doesn't have the uh, intellectual acumen to see the irony or to understand the actual issues that drive behind that. And then I'm going to back it up with part of the reason that I feel so passionately about this. The U.S. Air Force Academy Band and Cadet Corral is going to back up Travis Tritt with Give Me Your Tired, Your Poor, meaning that the U.S. military, seeing a genuine piece of American of the American DNA is going to be standing in direct opposition to the people that Travis Tritt says he proudly voted for, despite having himself on the record in previous albums, including what I believe is his very best album, saying, you know, there's something wrong with the people who are wealthy and powerful, trying to get themselves rich at the expense of keeping their foot on the neck of the working man in this country, and worse, going to the working man in this country and using racism and xenophobia 
to get that person, to trick that person into supporting his campaign to, again, make himself rich by shifting the burden of running this country away from the people who've been given the privilege and the power and onto the backs of the people who have almost nothing to show for it.
trato y de ahí a caminar. Chasers like outlaws, like hustlers, like thieves. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mi amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you. We died in your hills and we died in your deserts. We died in your valleys and we died on your plains. We died beneath your trees and we died in your bushes. Both sides of that river, we died just the same. Now the sky plane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon Like a fireball of lightning shook all our hills Who are these friends all scattered like dry leaves? Radio says they're just deportees Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita Mi amigos, Jesus y Maria You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane All they will call you will be Deportees Is this the best way we can grow our big old truths? Is the best way we can grow a good fruit To fall like dry leaves and rot on our topsoil And be known by no name except deportee Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita Adios, mi amigos, Jesus y Maria Okay, I need to make some cross-references here. Fairly important. My reference to Give Me Your Tired Report ties into a blog that I put out called Candy Coated Apostasy. That would have been November of 2015. And I also want to make a specific mention to past references to Nancy Griffith. She was the different drummer in Inappropriate Conversations 126. That came out in August of 2013. And Nancy Griffith is an incredibly important performer, not just in the sense of being one of the leading singers in a genre that might generically be called Americana, but also for her work both collaborating with other people and bringing the music of the past forward and representing it. 
Nowhere is this more true than on two albums she released called uh, Other Voices, Other Rooms. Uh, one of them, the second one, subtitled The Trip Back to Bountiful. And in that one, she included a song by Woody Guthrie, another callback to This Land is Your Land, called Deportee, Plain Wreck at Los Gatos. And to me, it's so important to put Give Me Your Tired, Your Poor, with Deportee as back-to-back together and let them share space with Travis Tritt as a singer because this is the very thing that Travis Tritt does not seem to understand. I read an article just this week about a farmer, a Republican farmer, a Trump-voting Republican farmer, who'd expressed some concerns in an interview that he was worried about how he was going to be able to staff the process of picking his crops with migrant workforces drying up, and that if Trump actually succeeds in deporting all the people Trump would like to support, he will be deporting the entire workforce for this farmer, who probably, I don't know the man, but probably has leveraged the ability to pay these people less than what a standard minimum wage law might force him to do, because as illegal aliens, they're going to take whatever they can get. And this is, of course, the plot behind the Woody Guthrie lyrics from decades upon decades ago. In the song that um, Nancy Griffith has reproduced here with the help of a ton of guest musicians, uh, including guest singers, on her folk works, Other Voices, Other Rooms. On this particular track, she's performing with Lucinda Williams, Tish Hinojosa, Adetta, Steve Earle, John Stewart, former members of the Cow Cells, and others. It's a very impressive collaboration that she's generated, including lyrics like, The crops are all in, and the peaches are rotting. The oranges are stacked in their creosote dumps. They're flying them back to the Mexican border to pay all their wages to wade back again. Goodbye to you, Juan. Goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mi amigos, Jesus and Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you will be deportee. Of course, the gist of the song, uh, the original lyrics by Woody Guthrie and Martin Hoffman, are about a plane crash that happened during that flight back. The plane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon like a fireball of lightning and shook all our hills. Who are those friends all scattered like dry leaves? The radio says they're just deportees. So, Griffith, speaking the words of Guthrie and Hoffman, raises the important questions that people like Travis Tritt have given himself permission to dodge. Is this the best way we can grow our big orchards? Is this the best way we can grow our good food? To fall like dry leaves and rot on the topsoil and be known by no name except deportee. I do have friends who, again, voted differently than I did in the last election, and in my opinion, politically and historically naive, not understanding the bigger issues at play, not understanding the Hamilton angle, among other things, who, when confronted with this information, are the very first ones to raise their hands and say, well, then we should do it differently. We don't need foreign workers who are legal or or here temporarily to do this work. We should pay a living wage and so forth and so on. And then they would be the first ones complaining when the price of their salad went up. They'd be the first ones trying to figure out a way to engineer a situation where what they want and need is cheap and inexpensive, whether the people who generate the actual work behind it can survive on those wages or not. So to me, perhaps the most important moment I've hit in all of these sound of uh, inappropriate conversations in recent weeks and the weeks to come, the contrast between give me your tired, your poor, 
and Woody Guthrie's words in songs like This Land is Your Land and Deportee. Let me turn my attention all the way back, though, to Inappropriate Conversations 3. This was March 2010, the very first different drummer I named, and a point which, at which I didn't even have the ability, much less the will, to include direct musical references. But Gordon Gano, the lead singer of Island Femmes, was my first different drummer. And among his most political works is uh, the beginning, first couple of tracks, in fact, on their uh, third album, The Blind Leading the Naked. This is Violent Femmes with Old Mother Reagan and No Killing. Old Mother Reagan and her crew took away from me and you. I'm sick of fire. She don't go far away. She better go far away. Oh, Mother Reagan went to heaven and curled the gates to a stop. We don't want no killing, Lord. I don't want to see my brother die. We don't want no killing, Lord. I don't want to see my sister cry.
our town, the hangman came, smelling of gold and blood and flame. He paced our bricks with a diffident air, and built his frame on the courthouse square. The scaffold stood by the courthouse side, only as wide as the door was wide, with a frame as tall, or a little more, than the capping sill of the courthouse door. And we wondered, whenever we had the time, who the criminal, what the crime. The hangman judged with the yellow twist of knotted hemp in his busy fist. And innocent though we were with dread, we passed those eyes of buckshot lead, till one cried, Hangman, who is he for whom you raised the gallows tree? Then a twinkle grew in his buckshot eye, and he gave a riddle instead of reply. He who serves me best, said he, shall earn the rope on the gallows tree. And he stepped down and laid his hand on a man who came from another land. And we breathed again for another's grief, at the hangman's hand was our relief. And the gallows frame on the courthouse lawn by tomorrow's sun would be struck and gone. So we gave him way and no one spoke, out of respect for his hangman's cloak. The next day sun looked mildly down on roof and street in our quiet town, and stark and black in the morning air, the gallows tree on the courthouse square. And the hangman stood at his usual stand, with the yellow hemp in his busy hand, with his buckshot eye and his jaw like a pike, and his air so knowing and businesslike. And we cried, Hangman, have you not done yesterday with the alien one? Then we felt silent and stood amazed. Oh, not for him was the gallows raised. He laughed a laugh as he looked at us. Do you think I've gone to all this fuss to hang one man? That's the thing I do to stretch the rope when the rope is new. Above our silence, a voice cried, Shame! And into our midst, the hangman came to that man's place. Do you hold, said he, with him that was meat for the gallows tree? He laid his hand on that one's arm, and we shrank back in quick alarm. We gave him way, and no one spoke, out of fear of the hangman's cloak. That night we saw with dread surprise the hangman's scaffold had grown in size, fed by the blood beneath the chute. The gallows tree had taken root. Now, as wide or a little more than the steps that led to the courthouse door, as tall as the writing, or nearly as tall, halfway up on the courthouse wall, the third he took we had all heard tell was a usurer, an infidel. And what, said the hangman, have you to do with the gallows bound, and he a Jew? And we cried out, Is this one he who has served you well and faithfully? The hangman smiled. It's a clever scheme to try the strength of the gallows beam. The fourth man's dark accusing song had scratched our comfort hard and long. And what concern, he gave us back, have you for the doomed and black? The fifth, the sixth, and we cried again, Hangman, hangman, is this the man? It's a trick, said he, that we hangmen know, 
for easing the trap when the trap springs slow. And so we ceased and asked no more as the hangman tallied his bloody score. And sun by sun and night by night the gallows grew to monstrous height. The wings of the scaffold opened wide until they covered the square from side to side and the monster crossbeam looking down cast its shadow across the town. Then through the town the hangman came and called through the empty streets my name. I looked at the gallows soaring tall and thought there's no one left at all for hanging and so he calls to me to help take down the gallows tree. And I went down with right good hope to the hangman's tree and the hangman's rope. He smiled at me as I came down to the courthouse square through the silent town. Supple and stretched in his busy hand was the yellow twist of hempen strand. He whistled his tune as he tried the trap and it sprang down with a ready snap. Then, with a smile of awful command, he laid his hand upon my hand. You tricked me, hangman, I shouted then, that your scaffold was built for other men. And I'm no henchman of yours, I cried. You lied to me, hangman, foully lied. Then a twinkle grew in his buckshot eye. Lied to you? Tricked you? He said, not I. For I answered straight and told you true. The scaffold was raised for none but you. For who has served more faithfully with your coward's hope, said he? And where are the others that might have stood side by your side in the common good? Dead, I answered, and amiably. Murdered, the hangman corrected me. First the alien, then the Jew. I did no more than you let me do. Beneath the beam that blocked the sky, none before stood so alone as I. The hangman then strapped me in, with no voice there, to cry stay for me in the empty square. I was probably in sixth or seventh grade in the youth group at the church I attended at the time, when one of the weeks where there weren't a ton of people attending, me and a couple of my favorite classmates, uh, what we chose to do, because there were so few of us who were available for United Methodist Youth Fellowship that weekend, was we watched a short film. And this that I've just played is the soundtrack of that short film. It is Ernie Thacker doing the reading of a poem by Maurice Ogden that was clearly inspired by the writings of Martin Niemöller uh, for The Hangman. And it echoes those themes of first they came for the trade unionists, but I was not a trade unionist. But this was an animated film that presented this in a very stark way inside a single town where uh, an executioner shows up to town and everyone sort of presumes that he's there for a good reason, so why question it? And everyone who challenges the lack of due process or other issues, the uh, you know, selecting the foreigner, selecting the religious minority, for example, end up... Uh, suffering at the end of the hangman's noose as well, which then just reinforced the fear that, that none of them had the voice to speak or the right to protest. When you take away the voice of opposition, and this is the inappropriate conversation that's all about the sound of opposition, when you're not allowed to be the voice of opposition, 
then you surrender yourself to totalitarianism. And that was what was presented in this in this animated uh, teleplay all those years ago. It was on my list for years of something that I was looking to find. And I sort of really wanted sort of a soundtrack. And MP3 was ideal for me. But for the first, say, decade I went looking for it, it wasn't available on YouTube or anywhere else. It wasn't available to purchase. And uh, when I finally got my hands on it, I was, I was greatly relieved, not just because I was able to relive that piece of my childhood, but unfortunately, these words seem more and more relevant with every passing year as I move into this particular stage of my life. Uh, from a life journey perspective, I can't be further away than than you can imagine to seventh grade and what my mentality might have been when I was 11, 12, 13 years old at the most. But even then, I recognized what the potential problems were, told myself I'd know them when I saw them, if I ever did see them. And sad but true, I'm seeing them right now. So I'm thankful that Ogden decided to create a poem out of the famous words coming out of World War II and the Holocaust from Martin Muller and others. And uh, good general all-around performance and good animation. You know, not the super expensive, like, high-end Disney kind of animation, but technology they had available to them, and including the budget they had available to them, was well used at the time. Greetings from the cockpit. This is Captain Scott, and we'd like to thank you for flying the Seder Sphere. This is co-pilot Cindy. We ask you at this time to unfasten your safety belt and release your chairs from their uptight position. We're high-flying with stopovers expected in theater, gaming, movies, television, and other mature destinations. We'd like to thank you for flying the frisky skies, and we hope to see you on our next flight to the Seder Sphere. I want to get back to the theatrical, and I want to get back to the theatrical in a way that is basically strictly using just music. So uh, I mentioned in the first of the inappropriate conversations that it is possible for a protest song to be well and truly purely instrumental. And the one that I want to share just an excerpt of, because it's more than an hour long, is a great example of it. I'm going to share Frederick Jevsky's The People United Must Never Be Defeated. Uh, the performance, I believe, on this example is from Ralph Van Rott on solo piano. So yes, it's instrumental, it's classical, it's music for a single piano player, meant to be played across more than 60 continuous minutes, with a series of overlapping suites and themes that come and go. Notes that I've got from the CD that features Van Rott's performance uh, include this, well, this beginning. If there has been a general opinion that musical modernism of the 20th century has led a priori to inaccessibility of its composition for a wide audience, then it is the composer and pianist Frederick Jevsky who has provided one of the strongest testimonies against this belief, a landmark in American piano literature, and perhaps one of the most important variation sets ever written, The People United Must Never Be Defeated, has a strong programmatic thread, which is able to carry the listener through some of the complex music in a natural way. Here is Van Rott performing Jeffsky as an excerpt.
As I look at the notes, it appears that there's 36 variations that come and go through the theme of this work. And uh, the uh, instructions for the pianist say, play with determination. Come to the end of this particular inappropriate conversation, thematically all over the board a little bit, opposition being the general idea, so I chose to name it that way, but uh, one that is more about how it's performed necessarily than the through line of of a particular point of view. Next time on this particular inappropriate conversations, we're going to continue with the sound of, and this will be the sound of disorder, perhaps the counter-argument to the traditional notion of law and order, but Before we get there, I want to play us out with what might be uh, certainly my favorite song from the 1990s. And I think I'm willing to call it my favorite protest song. It's Indigo Girls from their Rites of Passage CD, song called Let It Be Me. Played a prominent role for me in my 9-11 look back 10 years later, Inappropriate Conversations 68. Came out in September 2011 uh, under the heading of After the Attacks. Shared kind of a live clip there, but now I'm going to go back to the original. This song was written during the first Bush administration, resonated very strongly for me again in the second Bush administration, and once again I think it's time for us to realize that well, we are all in this together.
Indigo Girls, Let It Be Me. And if I were voting songs off the island, off the population 17,000 island of my MP3 player, I can't guarantee that Let It Be Me would be the last song to survive, but I can guarantee it would be part of the last tribal council, so to speak. We brought ourselves in today with what I consider to be a great protest song from Midnight Oil, a group that, from Australia, influenced uh, 1980s pop and alternative rock music across the entire globe. But they probably did not do it from songs like King of the Mountain or Blue Sky Mine off that album, Blue Sky Mining. No, their first shockwave came to us through their defense of aboriginal people in Australia and a famous track by them, which will play us out today. This is Beds Are Burning. Thanks for listening. River broke the bloodwood and the desert oak, holding wrecks and boiling diesels, steam and forty-five degrees. The time has come to save this fair, to pay the rent, to pay our share. Yonder, the western 
This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.